back, everyone. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. BlessYouBoys.com, of course, is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. And tonight, we have a special guest with us. Um, we're going to talk to with Max Boltman of The Athletic. Uh, Max has been writing about the Tigers for about a year, maybe a little bit less. Um, we'll get to that, but um, he's produced a whole bunch of really, really great pieces, especially um, a couple we really loved recently, and we're excited to talk to him. Max, thanks very much for uh, for joining us on the Bless Your Boys podcast. Um, how we how we doing this afternoon or this evening? Oh, su- super good. How about you? Oh, real real well, man. Yep. Um, been waiting for the uh, the weather to get good and hopefully get out and do some mountain biking and running around and visiting some lakes here before too long. So, where do you mountain bike? Um, you know, I mean, it, mountain biking is kind of a, a ludicrous term in Michigan, but um, you know, there, there's um, there's trail systems kind of all all through Oakland County. Um, there, there's a good one up um, in St. Clair County where I live um, at like at this kind of most random of locations. It's just this this campground that these people run, and it has a whole bunch of kind of hills and forest in it, and they just kind of weaved a mountain bike trail all through that. So yeah, there's there's some places to go, but yeah, mountain biking kind of kind of makes it out to sound better than it is. <laughs> no, I think it counts because the bike is called a mountain bike. So it's a I mountain bike. There's nothing I can do. Yep, there's That's nothing right. I can do. I don't know. Maybe it should be called a trail bike, but they failed in the initial uh, naming process. <laughs> or maybe they succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. Yep, maybe they did. <laughs> so um, so you've been you started with the athletic. Is it like this year? Uh, I think I went full time uh, early November was when I officially started. I've been freelancing since I, I freelanced from August through early November, and then went full time. Uh, yeah, around November second, I want to say was my first day. Oh, right on. Yeah, I mean, we we wanted to have you on. Just be, you've really been impressed with the coverage. Um, you know, you know, not just yourself, but but especially of late, um, some of the articles you've you've had up there. We've just been really big fans of over at Bless You Boys. So. Happy to talk to you. Um, how did you how did you kind of get into sports journalism? Was that something you wanted to do when you were a kid? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for saying that. Super nice of you. Um, oh yeah, no problem. But yeah, no, I, I kind of stumbled into it in college. Um, I walked into the Michigan Daily newsroom mostly like, well, what happened was I got like a copy of the Daily when I was, uh, you know, the summer before my freshman year, and I just thought it was like the coolest thing in the world that. You know, students had been there writing about Trey Burke shot against Kansas, which happened the day I got into Michigan. Oh, yeah. And so. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that was, interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it was, it was I thought it was really cool that, you know, students had been there doing that. So I fired off a couple of emails and, and just basically was doing it as much as anything. Well, one, I just thought that was cool. And for two, I was like, I, I need some friends when I get to school. Like, I don't know that many people who are going here. I had a couple of kids from high school and stuff. But um, so that was kind of the crux of it. I, I didn't go in and trying to be a journalist i was just looking for some friends and trying to get you know free free passes to sporting events uh, (laughs) yep kind of find your way on the campus and stuff and kind of a community yeah yeah so i mean it just it spiraled and i i couldn't uh i couldn't ever convince myself to quit as much as my bank account might have uh (laughs) <laughs> kind of wanted me to it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 not an easy gig to get into. Um, I mean, were you a writer like in high school? Did you did you kind of grow up writing and and enjoying writing? Or I probably thought I was, but like looking back, like no, not at all. But like, <laughs> yeah, I think I always like thought of myself as like a good writer. But now, like if I if I read one of my high school essays or poems, God forbid, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably cringe. Uh, even when I go back and look at things I wrote like three weeks ago, sometimes I'm like, oh, why did I say that? <laughs> same. Absolutely the same. No, absolutely. Yeah, but it just seems like it never ends. Um, yeah, so let's let's kind of get into the Tigers here a little bit. Um, you know, it, you kind of titled like this whole kind of section of, of our conversation with the uh, 
the article about the quintessential Tigers losses a couple of days ago. Um, yeah. and, and that we kind of had a bunch of them kind of all in a row there, five of them. Um, can you describe a quintessential Tigers loss to me? <laughs> I, yeah, no, I mean, I think what I was going for with it is just like, there's all of these like problems that are like easily identifiable, like that went wrong and that went wrong and that went wrong. And with none of them, like you're saying like, okay, well, and there's a solution. <laughs> it's like, no, it's just like, they're not, they're not good enough to do to win when they do those things, and there's not a clear way for them to stop doing those things by like replacement or different strategy or whatever, except to just not do them. And yeah. that's I, to me, that's like the rebuild quandary in the, as simple of terms as I can put it. Yep, and just kind of yeah. I mean, it's a team that so far, you know, like the starting pitching and the offense are kind of good enough to keep you in games, so they're not in danger of like some kind of 2003, you know, 120 loss season or something like that but then they just don't have the firepower to kind of pull out these close games and they don't have the bullpen, um, especially when Shane Green and, and Joe Jimenez aren't available or, you know, or you need three or four innings to, to kind of get, get to the house. So yeah, yeah, those close games kind of are the ones where it really kind of stands out to you. Do you think? Yeah. And it, it's interesting too. Cause like, it seemed like for at least like the first five, six weeks of the season, like that was what everyone was pointing to as like the strength of this team was like pulling out close games and I mean, I can see where that comes from just because those are like all of the memories that p- people are going to have from the early part of the season or like them pulling out, you know, a, a walk off or a comeback or whatever. But like they also have had, you know, for the first part of the year, it was like they were either winning, they were scoring like all the runs and it was like a barn burner or they were getting like no runs and they're losing like two to one, two to zero, whatever it was. And now I think it's settled into this rhythm where like, they are there. I mean, they're definitely going to have like those like six oh losses or whatever it was, six one to the Indians the other day. But um, they're settling into a point where like the games are now like kind of more consistent and predictable and what they're what you're getting from them. Yeah. And and that's I think where you're seeing things like stable out into like these like like you just said like four or five of them in a row that that you know they had their different characteristics but they were the same. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and they you know and they it's it's almost. I mean, it can be more exciting because there's these close games where, like you said, they did pull some of them out, but that's the kind of thing that eventually almost always ends up flipping on a team unless there's just, you know, a monster bullpen or something. And it just, we what it seems to me is we haven't seen, you know, we just don't see those extra games that, you know, an older, you know, a Tigers team two or three years ago could win by, you know, cranking three home runs and just kind of blowing somebody out here and there and putting that kind of a game in the mix or a super dominant starting pitching, you know, outing where a guy goes, you know, Verlander or Fulmer goes seven, eight innings. We just don't have those sort of extras to, uh, to throw in the mix. It seems like. Right. Yeah. You don't get the, the guaranteed JD Martinez eighth or ninth inning home run. It used to be. <laughs> yep. But they're still guaranteed out there, but yeah, we don't they have them. <laughs> yeah. That just happened in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. I did have uh, a couple friends from the Boston area kind of like, you know, questioning me before, before the season, like, you know, JD Martinez, we know he's going to hit a lot of home runs, but you know, I mean, is he, I would see a guy, you know, you can kind of depend on in the clutch. And I was just laughing. I was like, man, I don't know, for whatever reason, JD Martinez hits the best pitchers, you know, better than he hits anybody. So yeah, you guys are going to be in good shape. I think. Interesting. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure they're loving him then. Yep. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. But it'd be nice to have him and Mookie bets. That's good. That's gotta be fun. It's gonna be a good they're feeling. So good, man. They're so good. Them and the Astros. I mean, in like, like I, I've always like, I'm a pitching nerd. So like, I think like when I like look at the Indians, like they're the team that I am always like, man, like to have that. But now the Astros are right there pitching wise, if not surpass them. And they have like crazy line, like the AL is just, it's just loaded. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really, um, you know, we talked all kind of off season. I'm sure you guys wrote about this plenty too, about you know the haves and have-nots and the you know the tanking idea and all that. 
There's a lot right. of teams in the middle, but those couple teams that stand out, yeah, the Yankees, um, you know, Red Sox, and obviously the Houston Astros. I don't, I don't know if anybody in the NL is quite running away with anything, but um, but those three teams just look so much more stacked than anybody else. Yep, I agree. No, I'm totally with you. No, we do like a power rankings thing every week, and I'm always like, all right, I gotta sprinkle some NL teams in here somewhere. So let's <laughs> get the Braves in. For a while, the Diamondbacks were the easy one to go to. Yeah. But now they're like hitting it hard. So. Yeah, it was like nine out of ten games they lost or something. They're something like they that, hit a yeah. hit a brick wall kind of there. Although the yeah. the dot and the Dodgers, you know, just just don't seem to have the the same kind of depth, you know, they have in years previously. And then you know you lose Corey Seager, the All Star caliber shortstop, and Kershaw's hurt. And yeah, it doesn't. It's you kind of start to wonder. You know, I assume that the Dodgers at some point will get it together and maybe make a deal for something that they need. But yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't look like they're going to be a juggernaut this year. Right, and like the Cubs, like they're like in like fourth place this morning. I think I saw when I woke up. Like, that's yeah. nuts. I mean, I know their win, their run differential is insane, and they're not they're like four games back, but still, I don't know. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Tigers, um, right now at least, are are dead on on target to finish with sixty nine wins, which is where I, <laughs> where I predicted them. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's you know it's it's just kind of going to be the way it goes. Um, you know, looking at the first, you know. 48 games or whatever it is. I mean, is there anything that, um, you know, in terms of, of individual players' performances that has really stood out to you or surprised you so far? Well, for a while, I, I was saying that, you know, I mean, I, the answer is probably Matt Boyd, but uh, that obviously yeah. now you, you wonder about the oblique and, and if, if that's going to cause him any further problems. It didn't seem like he thought so. I tried to ask him, like, is it like a, because he was saying like he, he, he wanted to stay in the game or whatever, but he, you know, that's going to be like the thing to watch now because he was evolving into kind of the most promising thing about the season early on. I mean, him and Liriano, and with the potential trade value implications for Liriano. Yeah. Um, offensive side, I mean, it, it's interesting how like Jacoby Jones and Leonis Martin both are are now kind of having the same deal where it's like their defense is so good, you got to keep them in, and like, what are you worried about anyway? It's a rebuilding year, but like, yeah they're both kind of on this trajectory where they're they can either be like the most exciting player in a given game or the most like what what's going on here. Yeah. And Martin's got like what like one hit since coming back from the DL now. Yep, it's been pretty pretty sparse and I think Jacoby Jones still has one walk on the season. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting with with Jacoby Jones. I mean, Leon Leonis Martin, I just I don't know where that start came from cuz that he looked like the player, you know, that people kind of thought he might be when Texas finally you know acquired him back in like i don't know like 2012 or something like that yeah so i don't i don't i didn't know what to make of that but you know jacoby jones is just going to be such a volatile player until he can you know figure if he can figure out a way to to draw the kind of walk rates he did in the minor leagues because you know you just see him um you know when he's not getting hits then he his extra value in running the bases you know is completely wiped out and it's like his whole profile just goes to hell and then you know a couple days later he'll have a three-hit game and all of a sudden you know his average is up 50 points and it looks like oh he's doing pretty well again and it's just um early season numbers are funny that way but especially with a guy who doesn't have the stability of a kind of a solid on base percentage to to back it up it's just kind of a roller coaster with him so so far right and it's interesting is, is his contact rate when i wrote about him a few weeks ago and his contact rate was like up up like meaningfully from last year and i thought that was a big part of of kind of his game because he's so fast that like he he does need to be he needs to like lower the strikeouts is a big thing and he can be like a you know 20 percent strikeout guy and probably be fine if he walks a little more mm -hmm. but also like 
if his contact rate is solid, like he's, he's got the wheels to leg out some infield singles there and like make some stuff happen. But um, I don't know if, if that's because I, I don't know if he, if the contact rate has stayed high through this more recent dip. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I don't think it's gotten it actually doesn't look like it's that bad. It's um, his swinging strike rate, I know, has kind of climbed back up to where or pretty close to where it was um, last season. But he's still I mean, his strikeout rate is still, you know, in the high 20s. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's doable because the defensive profile and the base running is so good. But um, yeah, he's he's got to spray the ball around and play and, and maximize, you know, everything he can get out of that. Um, it'd be nice if he was hitting for a little more home run power. Um, you know, he definitely has it. Um, we just haven't seen him kind of square up enough balls in the air, I guess, perhaps. But he's kind of yeah. looked like Cameron Maben did a couple years ago to me, you know, where he's shortened up and is kind of just trying to put the ball in play. But yeah, that was the year that, like everything was falling for Maben, wasn't that? Like everything he's putting in play. Yep, that was just a crazy, that was a crazy season because when he was on, you know, base a lot, I mean, he's just, you know, a firecracker out there in the same way that, you know, Rajai Davis was. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's got to drive Garden Hire nuts. Like, with, I mean, Jacoby Jones, like the the give and take that he has of like the base running, where he'll he'll blow through a stop sign and score a, a massive run, and then he'll also <laughs> try to try to steal a base and get thrown out, and and yeah, what do you do? Yep, yep. I mean, you kind of yeah, you know, we talked about this kind of all through the Osmus years, kind of behind the scenes at Bless You Boys about how Brad Osmus every season would kind of come out with this mantra, like, you know, we're going to run the bases aggressively now. You know, we're going to get rid of, you know, kind of this station-to-station approach we had last year and get after it. And they would do it for, you know, three or four weeks, but it seemed like once enough guys had kind of gotten thrown out in the bases, they all kind of got scared. Um, and when you have a team, you know, with no expectations, which is, you know, in a way a nice a nice feeling probably for some of the guys there, um, you know, I guess you can kind of push it more, and, and maybe that's what it takes is to just keep running running the bases aggressively and kind of learning your limits that way rather than kind of pulling back and like, oh, I don't want to get thrown out. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Garden Hire's approach kind of sustains throughout the year here. Absolutely. I, I, on a note, I mean, the original question I think was about like kind of early season like surprises or whatever. I don't know if this is a surprise, but like Jared Candelario is, is very, very impressive so far. I mean, I, I know that he coming into the year was good, but like that is something – to kind of get back to what I, where I think you were trying to take it. Like that is something that I think Tigers fans can be actually very, very pleased with is, is how he is performing and how he looks like he's shaping up to be a guy for the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really does look like a, just a, a supremely professional hitter for his age. Yeah. And, um, you know, he flashed, I think that, you know, the thing that really has surprised us is, just, you know, just the power, um, the raw power, you know, hitting 440 foot bombs, you know, like it seemed like everybody, you know, when he was in the Cubs organization expected him to be a, a guy who would get on base for you and probably hit for good average and some power. But um, yeah, he may, uh, he may be flashing more power potential than we thought, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. And I, I want, I've always wondered like how much of this is like, when, when you're like a really good hitter, like, can't you just like, doesn't that just help you hit for power? Like, because the, the thing, that's the thing that people have always said about like Ichiro or whatever. Like he could hit more home runs if he wanted to. Yeah. Like if, when you're in, I'm not saying Candelaria is an Ichiro level hitter, but like when you're in command and in control of yourself at the plate, when you have that kind of discipline, that seems like something that you can maybe overachieve with power. I could be totally off base saying that. I'm not like a hitting coach, but <laughs> just kind of my very amateur observation. Yeah, it does. It just it does make sense, though, like the more, you know, the more balls you barrel up and the better eye you have for not swinging at pitches that are going to be tough to reach or square up. You know, yeah, yeah you think it would translate. And, you know, it seems like we've seen a lot more young players come up out of the minor leagues and and hit for way more power than 
than people maybe expected early on. And obviously, you know, the, the ball <laughs> might be playing a, a, yeah. a role in that <laughs> as well. Um, there was that in, an interesting study that MLB kind of put together with some independent researchers today that seemed to confirm that the ball definitely has less drag and is carrying farther, but still came up with basically no reason why that was. So, yeah, that was kind of odd. Yeah. No, absolutely. absolutely. I'm sure Justin Justin Verlander feels vindicated out there somewhere. <laughs> yes, I'm just, where he is out there. Doesn't uh, doesn't Justin Verlander always feel vindicated though? <laughs> wherever I think he's he at. does. He makes sure that he does. Yeah. Yeah, he's vindicated in life. I think yeah, everything's going well for him. Um, yeah. The other one, uh, I guess we should touch on is Joe Jimenez, um, who you know a lot of us had you know pretty pretty optimistic you know feelings about coming into last season and. You know, we were definitely me and um, Rob, our site editor, you know, a couple of us were among the louder voices for, you know, hey, they called called Joe Jimenez up. This bullpen sucks. And uh, obviously he struggled all year. But ha um, have you talked to him at all about kind of, you know, the change in approach or, you know, the work he put in over the offseason to kind of kind of put up, you know, the kind of early season numbers he's putting up? Yes. And it was uh, it would have been in spring training. So I'm going to have to, like, kind of think back a little bit. But the thing that I can say pretty pretty confidently is that he were, he went down in Lakeland. He worked with Fulmer a fair bit. I think they were both in Lakeland together for like a prolonged amount of time. Mm. And Jimenez was kind of able to pick Fulmer's brain about some things. And I don't know if it was, I want to say there was something with the slider that they worked on together, but I think just in general, like pro habits kind of stuff and like approach my, cause Fulmer's so mentally tough. Like, I mean, I, and I, I say that kind of just based on like my interactions with him, but like he is a, relatively like level-headed dude who he's still passionate obviously but like he's able to walk away from a game and and give really honest assessments of where things you know happened and i think for a pitcher that's got to be huge to just be able to like kind of in, in like a you, you still care but like get detached enough that you can give yourself like honest self-eval yeah and i'm sure that like when you're when you're then working with a young player like what that must translate, I don't know. I mean, this is a little speculative, but but I know that they they were there together for a while, and I think I think Jimenez probably must have taken some of that from Falmer, and he's also just a. Ta I mean, like you said, he was so talented coming through the minors. Like it, it's entirely possible that this was just going to take him a little while to get to to what he's doing. Yeah, just um, but maybe maybe deal with the expectations that he had for himself, and yeah, for sure, yeah. And so yeah, I think that's probably a big part of it, but. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'll have to go look up and find those, some of those quotes, and I'll, I'll maybe I'll like DM them to you or something. But I, I'm I'm pretty sure they work together in Lakeland. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that in the spring. And I do, I, yeah. I mean, I vaguely remember reading that. Um, and there was also, you know, like the Basio influence that, you know, before you know the team even got together with him, he was calling and texting everyone with ideas. And it seems like you know, um, not just Fulmer and and Jimenez, but also Boyd and, and, and Norris as well. Like everybody kind of was, was working hard on kind of getting on top of the slider more and um, taking a little bit of speed off of it and getting more depth. And we've kind of seen that, you know, across the board um, in, in throughout the whole Tigers pitching staff. And it's kind of, it's kind of seemed like one of the keys, you know, like the Tigers are um, as far as, you know, team strikeout rate are not good, but, um, but their better pitchers are, have definitely kind of shown an uptick in the effectiveness of their slider. And that's, that seems pretty attributable to Basio as far as I can tell so far, although it's always, you know, it's always easy to like, you know, put everything on Chris Basio and, and want him to be like the, you know, the Yoda character behind the scenes just because of the guy he is. But have you, have you talked to Chris Basio at all? Not a whole lot. We talked at Tiger Fest and then I think he's only talked maybe one time since the season started and that must've been a day I wasn't at the park, but um, the, the Tiger Town talk or Tiger Fest, well, Tiger Fest, uh, that day he was really he was really good, and so I, I'll have to try to circle back with him soon. 
Um, but he hasn't talked as much since the season started. Hasn't been kind of as, and you know, part of that, obviously he was away from the team for a couple of days. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll have to see if, uh, if he's going to talk again anytime soon, but yeah, that was something that, like you said, he's calling everybody early on. And I think a lot of the pitchers, you know, a few of the pitchers at the very least, I mean, Matt Boyd would probably be, be the poster child for, for sort of that sort of thing. Yeah. For, for taking the approach of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get on the mound and chuck it. I'm going to try to vary my delivery times and, and mess with people a little bit more. It seems like of, of all the pitchers, yeah, Matt Boyd is, is the one who's kind of taken that part of Fazio's approach um, to heart the most so far. Right. And even like taking a little bit off of it in some guys' cases, like, like, you know, you're not throwing the full velo that you can because you're, you're working on, like you said, varying speeds. I think that's, that's, that's really interesting. I think like that timing thing, somebody, someone came up the other day about, uh, Mario wrote something I think about this hesitation that Boyd added into his delivery. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's just a timing effect. Yeah, and obviously not like a brand new thing, but it's a cool thing to see to see emphasized because you know hitters are squaring up so many balls these days. You know, it's it's such an all or nothing approach that yeah, messing with people's timing seems you know especially in like a key spot. Like if you did it all the time, I guess hitters would just kind of get used to you. But you know, once you've got a guy in in a two strike count or you need to make a big pitch, having that little that little trick in the in the back pocket seems like it might be useful. I you know I remember um, Joe Jimenez um, kind of picking up um, from Francisco Rodriguez last year the idea of mixing in a quick pitch occasionally, especially hmm. if it looks like a hitter is kind of kind of thinking it through after taking a strike or something like that to just kind of like get on the mound and just unload on it you know right away just you know whip a fastball by him, and um, I saw him do that you know a couple of times last year when he was at his best. So yeah, it seems like kind of a kind of an ongoing practice the whole you know the whole i mean you're a pitching nerd i i am as well the the whole subject of pitching has gotten really interesting in the past couple of years with all the you know the additional data we have and watching all these these pitchers kind of try to deal with with the rising home run rates yes you know we've seen guys like jordan zimmerman and anibal sanchez suddenly become home run machines with kind of a ineffective fastball um whereas other guys have succeeded um is there anything that's that you're kind of thinking about in those those regards these days. I mean, the spin rate stuff has been particularly interesting. I know, you know, Trevor Bauer obviously brought that to the fore as Trevor Bauer will do recently. Yeah, no, I mean, that was definitely like a very interesting, uh, a very interesting whole topic. Like you're talking about like the, the pine tar experiment kind of thing. Yeah. The, he was kind of, you know, subtly accusing his, I believe his former college roommate. Yeah. Garrett Cole, especially, but really he kind of called out the whole Astros team. Like, Hey, what's going on over there with the pine tar basically. Yeah, no, and it, oh my gosh, did you see the thing? Um, I think Mizell wrote it for the the Cleveland site today. He, he kind of opened up about him and Cole and their their whole rivalry and all that stuff. Oh no, I haven't seen that yet. I'll have to check you'll this have out. To talk, yeah, you'll have to check that out. I I didn't. I'm not quite done with it. I started it, but uh, I'm, as I'm sure you you've known from reading some of our stuff on our site, it's not always a, 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 the quickest read, but it's always very uh, very thorough. So I'll, I'm gonna have to circle back to that and finish it. But yeah. There was a, a couple of a couple of quotes in there that I think are very very Trevor Bauer. <laughs> yeah, I mean there was the what was it the BD nine eleven that he carved in the mound the other day, and yeah, I mean he's just just a just a magnet for controversy. He seems to love it at this point. So yeah, no. The, the to answer your question though, the uh, the big thing I I mean I love the opener like as just a an experiment to see how this thing goes. Like bullpen management to me is such a fun like lab right now like people are trying so many different things and it's a copycat deal of course too but like mm -hmm. i do love when a team will try something and you're like what the heck and then it's like oh i i can see this after you know one or two one or two times through yeah and it does get you know i mean it can really turn into like you said the, the kind of copycat thing but you also wonder you know like 
you know, people are starting to freak out, especially about like the opener. You know, I've seen a few pieces already about how, you know, the the changing bullpen usage is really going to destroy, um, you know, relievers value in arbitration. And it's going to hurt starters value by them not, you know, necessarily pitching their normal kind of routine games and, and, and looking for wins and losses or quality starts and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, you also have to wonder, like, you know, these are experiments. And, you know, if Sergio Romo went out there and, you know, just got absolutely wrecked by Mike Trout and Justin Upton, you know, is, there, is anyone going to be, you know, so up in arms about the labor, the potential labor and salary issues? You know, it was it's these are all kind of experiments. And it, it definitely is an interesting time as far as that goes. But that's part of the thing to me that makes it so interesting is it does have these far reaching effects. And it's like, you know, it, I remember like when I was like in college, in high school and college and it's like starter, starter, starter. That's what you base your whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially the Tigers were basing their whole team around. Um, but now, like, it does seem like relievers are becoming a little more of a commodity, and there's exceptions, certainly, this year. I mean, I don't even know how much, if, if this year, this past offseason, in terms of free agency, is going to become the norm or what. But but I think you are going to see shifts in values in, in some way, like whether it's relievers and just being kind of more valued and more understood um, for, for what they can do. Like, if you're talking about kind of the Gabe Kapler at the beginning of the year model yeah <laughs> um or or if you're going to see sort of a, a swing back and and, and the guys who the, the starters who you can rely on to go six or seven reliably or eight um are just going to see that see that much more valuable to me that's i mean that's part of what makes this bullpen stuff interesting is the impacts that it has on contracts and it has on what the young the young up-and-coming pitchers in the sport like how they see themselves projecting you know yeah, yeah, how pitchers kind of define you know, what what kind of role they expect to have or whether or not they can, you know, maybe they can adapt to having less of a strict role and kind of, you know, being a little bit more flexible in that way. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's it's interesting because, I mean, it, it definitely is going to have these effects. It's just a question of whether or not things will sort of rebalance themselves. But it, it, it does seem like, you know, I, I don't know, I've written about this a few times, but, you know, the MLBPA really didn't seem to do very well in the last collective bargaining agreement, um, to put it kind of mildly, probably. Sure. Um, and I mean, and this just kind of seems like another issue that's going to play into that where, you know, at some point they're going to have to take a stand as far as, you know, negotiating some kind of terms or, or at least being able to affect the arbitration process a little bit more because, you know, teams are, are doing a much better job, you know, from their perspective, obviously, of gaming the system and getting you know, getting an extra year, sometimes even an extra two years out of out of their young players. And so guys are finding themselves, you know, basically playing their entire career under under team control, you know, or at least through their prime. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be, you know, kind of interesting to see if these these things play out, you know, differently and whether or not the union can kind of get its act together the next time and get something installed to kind of bolster some of the salaries or, or at least, you know, make a, a little bit better attempt at, at getting parity as far as, you know, what relievers and, and some of these guys are, are able to earn. It's interesting too, right? Because it's like it's it's this thing that that's been that's been uh, become the status quo where the the fans are like on board with with these like you know labor practices that are not at all to the benefit of the athletes that they that they're like rooting for because because their loyalty is to the team. I, I understand that, but it is I think that is like a component here that like if fan support continues to be so behind like those like labor practices and the the way that, that that's getting worked out like teams have less incentive to to give because their fans are, are all for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to have to be kind of forced to come to the table on, on some of those things, which is why, I, you know, I, it seems like a lot of people are kind of expecting a real kind of showdown the next time this, this goes to a, 
collective bargaining agreement, which fortunately is still several years away, so we don't have to worry about it right away, but it does kind of feel like there's a storm brewing out there. No, I mean, I'm sure they'd love to get to the negotiating table as quick as possible with, with as many things that has, have come up, you know, recently, yeah. especially with the gambling stuff. Like, I'm sure that that's going to be a massive, I mean, they might even need to work that out before the next, they're going to need to work that out before the next CBA. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, we, it's just hard to kind of, you know, unpack that at all yet because the, you know, the Supreme Court ruled that sports betting, you know, the ban on sports betting would be lifted, but we don't really know what shape it's going to take as far as, um, you know, what companies are going to be involved in, in being able to, to, you know, handle the gambling action and who, you know, the licensing of all that. But then there's just all the implications for, you know, the league and the possibilities for corruption. Um, it's like, there's, seems like there's going to be an awful lot that the league has to do to, you know, protect the sport fundamentally, um, as far as, keeping, you know, better tabs, I guess, on, on officials, um, you know, from the replay guy to the umpires on the field, to the players, um, there's, there's kind of a lot of, a lot of moving parts there. And then you've also got on the other side that it's probably going to, I would assume it's probably going to be really good for the game as far as its exposure. Um, I don't know for sure if that's true, but it, it definitely seems to me that, you know, the more invested people are, um, you know, the more, you know, there's going to be read and written about, you know, the odds each day and, you know, how players are doing and all those sorts of things. And it 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 should draw more coverage to the game, I would think, as well. Yeah, I mean, it'll fundamentally change the way that people experience these games. Like, I mean, with, with like fantasy baseball, right, like very low, low level form of sort of this like way of viewing baseball. But like when I watch a baseball game or at least like, you know, when I was in college or whatever, when I watch a baseball game, you know, you watch and you're you're rooting for like individual play, like almost like, okay, so I've got this pitcher, the starting pitcher, and I've got one player in the other team's lineup. So I want, I want my guy to hit a home run off my pitcher and then everyone else to strike out. Right. Yeah. Like you're going <laughs> to yep. start to see people watching games like that in a similar, like prop bet based way. Yeah. Demanding these very specific outcomes exactly. or, or rooting for them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, that it is going to be it is going to be strange, and you know we're already at a place where people tell each other to just shut the hell up, you know, about their fantasy yes. team, <laughs> and um, so you know it just seems like that you know there might be a split between people who gamble and people who don't, as far as you know who reads what and what what coverage appeals to which you know which side of the fan base. But yeah, that is that is going to be an interesting thing to watch. I, I've actually only I've only bet on baseball like a couple times, you know, like I tried it on Bovada just to kind of see like oh, how does this work and stuff and. Um, you know, made a few bets in 2016 before the season. And one of them was that Justin Verlander would win the Cy Young. And I, I had like 40 to one oh, odds on this or something. Year? Yeah. And just got, you know, and nobody apart from perhaps Kate Upton was more annoyed than, than I was when, <laughs> when Rick Porcello got locked out of that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I can just imagine if everybody was doing this regularly, like what the outcry, you know, over something like that would be. And it seems like it's also going to lead to, maybe the need for things to be codified even more, you know, like there's, there's any kind of loophole in the game or, you know, um, you know, a game ending on a strike three call where the ball was actually outside. is just going to, you know, send people into Apple. What is it? Just, you know, people are just going to lose their minds on on everywhere, you know, in general, just because, you know, we we could get this right and you're not, and it's costing me money. And um, yeah, it'll be, it's going to be really weird to see how all those pressures sort of start to affect the game. The awards one did not, even cross my mind but you're right like that's going to be a thing that like i mean i would certainly love to sit here and say that you know the media is is an always correct uh entity or whatever but (laughs) we know it's not the case so it's like 
but yeah, that's right. Like people are going to, people are totally going to accuse the media of taking bribes on award stuff. And wow. That hadn't even crossed my mind. I mean, it really just is a, it's just a complete Pandora's box of <laughs> maybe, you know, some good things, but man, there's just going to be so many issues. It seems like, you know, and it's interesting to see the league trying to kind of position itself to get a cut um, because, you know, they're going to have costs, you know, incurred by, you know, having to kind of, you know, provide a lot more oversight, I would imagine. So yeah, watching them kind of work that way. And then I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was, it must've been Katie, Katie Strang. Um, yep. Is it managing editor of Athletic yeah. Detroit? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, she, she was talking about how, you know, Nick, Nick Castellanos, who's the Tigers player rep was already texting with Justin Verlander about the implications yep. of this. Justin Verlander is reaching out to big fancy people mm-hmm. that Justin Verlander hangs out with. So yeah, it's going to be, uh, I, you just kind of imagine there's, you know, a real storm going on behind the scenes of people trying to figure out what this is going to mean. Yeah, no, I, I, that's just so interesting. Cyan, I mean, that, that's a media voted thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not a voter, but um, yeah, yeah, that is interesting. So, so you got cost money because some newspaper writers voted for, kept Verlander off their ballot entirely, right? That was the deal? Yeah, didn't even rank him like fourth or fifth. Yeah, they, they didn't have him on there entirely. Just weren't paying attention, I guess, the last month of the season or something. I don't know. So yeah, but 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 there might have been you know might have been a hundred thousand people like me all screaming out in the wilderness. <laughs> well, and obviously at the time, like you know, that's the sort of thing that that goes because the bets are like so isolated to well, supposedly isolated to Vegas, but mm-hmm. that's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, there's gonna be yeah, gonna be weird times ahead as as far as covering how all that goes. You know, and what what doesn't what still doesn't get discussed at all, of course, is minor league player salaries. And ticket prices, <laughs> you know, yes. I, I, you see these amazing arguments between fans and stuff, you know, on social media, and it it, it almost never comes back to, you know, the, the fans are, you know, are getting screwed by the owners. And, you know, if if the owners are spending on their team and the team is winning, it seems like no one cares, you know, about that side of it at all. And no one really thinks about, you know, the minor leaguers, unfortunately. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. That's very true. It's just, you know, it's just one of those things, again, where there's all these people involved and, and you know, potentially, you know, affected severely by, you know, decisions that are made. But it all but all the focus continues to stick on, you know, the millionaires and the billionaires fighting, kind of fighting it out. It's sometimes hard to have sympathy there. I know. It's interesting. Like, what is it going to take for, for the minor league baseball players to get a fair wage there? Like, I, I know that, that those clubs aren't always earning a ton of revenue. But... Yeah. Like they're taking every bit, like a, I mean, I don't, they're doing a ton of work for this too, and it's not always going to pay off for all of them. But I don't know. I, it's it's you you read the Shane Green article I did. Like the stuff that some of those guys have to do are oh yeah absurd. Oh, I'm glad glad you brought that up because that was a great a great article. Like I, you know, I remember profiling him a couple years ago and trying to piece together his whole history, and it was very very spotty. You know, it's like he had Tommy John surgery and then. And didn't, and no one really thought he was going to be a pitcher. And, you know, then that, you know, then next thing you know, he is a pitcher. And then there's kind of nothing about him until, you know, he was, he broke in with the Yankees. Um, what, what did, uh, you know, he was really open with you about that. Have you kind of found Shane Green to kind of be like a pretty open, straight shooter type character? Cause he really did kind of go deep into his history with you. Yeah. It's interesting because you're like, you're not the first person. First of all, thank you for saying that. But like, um, yeah, he did. He was really open, and he. I think this. I got the sense of something he wanted to talk about was like that whole journey. Just because I think he. I think he. Now that he is at this point where he's in a pretty good place, um, I think he like wants other people who are in maybe kind of tumultuous sides of the minors to 
to be able to like look to that and have someone because so many of the guys that you look up to, I think when you're coming up really in any industry are the guys who it seems like they were just so good that like it was going to happen for them. Yeah. And I think in his mind, he wants, maybe he doesn't want to be like a poster child. Cause I don't know if that's necessarily his personality, but I think he wants to be like an example of like, Hey, just if you, if you are worried because like you're, it's not happening or you're disabled for three years or you're, you know, you're hitting whatever this is, or you're, you're toiling in the summers feeling like you're not going to make it. I think he, he would like for kids like that to not be discouraged and, and quit and to see like, if you still want to do this, like it's on the table for you. And that, that to me was why he wanted to, to be that open. Cause you're right. Like you're not the first person who said like, he's not, um, that's not necessarily, I don't even think his, his nature, uh, when, when you like see him in kind of interviews on TV and stuff, but, but he, he was in that interview. Yeah. Yeah. He can be a little bit more, you know, kind of, you know, cool customer sort of taciturn with, with interviewers and stuff, but yeah, it almost felt like he really wanted to, yeah, to kind of, or like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the perfect way of putting it is that he's reached a good place and it was sort of like time to kind of look back down, you know, the mountain at the, at the journey to get there. And it was, uh, it was an arduous journey. Did he talk at all about like the recovery from, from Tommy John surgery? Cause I think people think, you know, there's all this help for you or, you know, yeah. that, you know, there's people telling you what to do, but basically, you know, you get taken in, you get your arm cut open and then they give you, you know, some kind of two page rehab sheet or something. And then it's kind of on, on you to do it. And he was what, like a 19 year old junior college player who'd never really, you know, top 90 miles per hour and wasn't really a prospect at all at that point. And um, it's kind of incredible to push through at that point when there's really nothing being promised to you as far as like being drafted or, you know, scholarships. Right. And he talked a ton about it. And I actually talked at length with his rehab partner at the time. Mm. Um, So he, he, his college roommate and him both got Tommy John within two months of each other. Oh, wow. Um, I could have probably done a whole story on just this like side of it. Yeah. But, but like, yeah, so they, they both had it within two months of each other. They, they moved back home and then they ended ended up enrolling at um, Daytona Beach Community College. And so they kind of do their rehab while they're a part of this like developmental team. And that's, that's important because it allows them to use these facilities and like have like a weight room and have like, cause, cause like you said, like you're, you're kind of taking baby steps and then building up. And I want to say, I might be, I might have this slightly wrong. So I, did, I haven't, I don't have it in front of me, but um, I want to say that Shane got his first. And so he was hitting every milestone like in advance of oh, yeah. his roommate, Matt Collins. And I, I want to say that like Matt, Matt said something about how Shane will go through these things. And he, cause there's a lot of, I imagine there's a lot of things in this process where you're, uh, you're like, this is normal, you know? And when Matt would have those questions, he would go, Hey, Shane, did you have this? And Shane would be like, yeah, yeah. But Shane didn't have that for Matt because Matt was behind him in the process. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so no, that, and no, no team trainers necessarily. I mean, maybe he had a little bit of help, but yeah, not like you know you would think in the minor leagues or or you know a top prospect has got like the whole organization behind him. You know, there's nothing like that. Right, and, and so so it's like you know they're, they're they're doing this thing and they're going for they're they're basically sharing an apartment together and and they're like, hey, we should go run. Like, okay, it's midnight. Yeah, no, we got to do it. Okay, and so like one of them one of them gets down, and the other's like, we got to we got to run today or we got to, you know, throw today, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it you'd be probably not throwing too much, but, um, yeah, but yeah. Game, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, so it, it is interesting because, because these, this very much sounds like it was an experience that kind of nobody outside of those two people, at least for their kind of personal, um, 
journeys with that can can understand as well so i found that to be one of the parts of the stories that i wanted to explore more and just you know it was 3700 words it, it would have been tough to go too much deeper yeah and have people keep reading it was great though i, I mean I, that's that is another thing i really do appreciate about the athletic is the long the long form pieces um you know we just you know i bless you boys we don't really get the opportunity to do that kind of thing it's it's sort of not really our, our niche so when someone can really go super deep and and get you know a lot of good quotes into it yeah i'm, I'm all about it and yeah that, that was an excellent excellent piece loved it thanks man no that really means a lot i was i you know i i was nervous about you know how it was going to come out because it's the, you don't want to mess up somebody's life story like get something wrong in their life story or as you're telling this whole like you know <laughs> we're covering you know probably 10 11 years of this guy's life yeah the whole time you're writing it you're like oh man like how, how do i characterize this you know what i mean yeah, and then the next so, time you see him, you know, you're like, "Hey, <laughs> I haven't seen him since. I haven't. I was in. He. I never saw him at all when I was in Minneapolis. Like he was always out in the field when I was in the clubhouse, and I don't know if he was eating dinner or whatever post game. So I actually have not seen him since. I have no idea. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I, I can imagine it being a little nerve wracking, but it'll be cool. To, I'd be interested to see how how you know he he felt about how it turned out because yeah, I, I thought it was it was pretty great, and you know, it gives you it just gives you the flavor of of what goes on as far as you know, like what. You know, it's almost like being in the military, you know, when you're when you're a minor league player and, you know, you're you're just kind of, you know, you, you have no money for the most part. You know, maybe the top guys, you know, still have their bonus money from, you know, the, the draft and whatever. But, you know, I mean, you're you're out there, you know, eating fast food and, you know, traveling on buses, you know, with guys that you just met and you're all, you know, the same age and trying to do this thing. But, um, you know, a team can really mess with you. And it really struck me when he talked about kind of coming up with the Yankees in 2014 and how. You know, they kind of, you know, okay, you're going to start, um, you know, but now we're the, you know, for maybe not, we're going to move you back to a relief role and then we're going to switch that again. And then you got called up, but you blew up one time. And so you get sent back down and just that feeling of being on the, the crux and not knowing what your role is going to be. Um, and then, you know, finally, you know, just breaking through and getting called up because there was a need. Um, but, you know, it's, it is just interesting to think about how many guys out there are in the, that position right now. I keep, I can't kind of get over my my feelings about this Victor Reyes situation because I just feel like that he's got to be, you know, I mean this is a player who probably should be in Double A, you know, not not even at Triple A, and he's got to sit there day after day with Miguel Cabrera and you know all these like, you know, kind of well known players around him and can't really contribute and is just sort of in this bizarre limbo and I, I I've just been feeling for that cat because you just see him come to the come to the plate and he hasn't swung a bat in anger for you know two weeks or something like that and it's like oh. <laughs> Here, come on in and face like Andrew Miller or something, you know? Yeah, and, and usually when that happens, it's because he the game is close enough for him to have pinch run yeah. previously. And so by that point, you're thinking like we're talking ninth, tenth inning, high, like you said, high leverage. You you may be facing the other team's closer. Yeah, you're right because that that is how he's gotten most of his of his playing time is pinch hitting for Victor Martinez. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even, you know, and actually I hadn't thought about running. it. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way either, though. Yeah, it's, all, it's been a lot of late innings in, in tight spots, kind of uh, mm -hmm. kind of pinch hit appearances for, yeah, a player who really, you know, was succeeding okay at double A last year, but didn't really get a full season in. And you just kind of wonder, you know, like if why something can't be worked out here, because, um, you know, it just feels like it's really, you know, kind of bad for his development and, you know, the the Diamondbacks aren't going to get him back because the Tigers can obviously keep him on the roster all year and, you know, not suffer any consequences for him. So it's just, it's a weird impasse right now. It is. It's, it's, it's very bizarre. And uh, I, I don't know, like, when do you think we're, when do you think it's going to be like a, 
a settled thing because I I have like no time frame for like I really uh, don't I haven't like a lot of I think Evan Woodbury from M Live who who's really good I think he wrote something about how like a good portion of the Rule Five picks have already been returned to their clubs Yeah 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 And then they usually don't you know they usually don't work out You know a lot of us wanted um, Nick Birdie who was um, a really hard throwing reliever who the Tigers could have I can't remember who took him maybe it was the Phillies He's But hurt, um, right. Yeah, he has, had Tommy John, and so he's going to be out all year. So you could kind of stash him on the, you know, on the sixty-day disabled list all year long, and and you know, kind of still have the spot. Um, so yeah, it was just, I mean, they must really like Victor Reyes, and you know, whatever my personal opinions of Victor Reyes are, you know, I mean, if the Tigers like him, it just seems like they're not doing him any favors by you know, kind of putting him through this this bizarre situation where he's not actually playing any baseball games. So yeah, it's like, do you like him enough to trade for his full rights or whatever, so you can. Yeah, they'd have to, you know, they'd have to work out something with Arizona to kind of put that aside. And you would think Arizona, you know, they already lost him like they, that they wouldn't require a whole lot. And I, I don't know, maybe the Tigers just don't really want to give up anything. And maybe that's the case, but it, it would it just seems like it'd be a lot better for him if they, you know, could could find some young arm or something that no one really expects to do a whole lot and, you know, make some kind of a swap so they could send him down. And, you know, then the fans would be really happy because then we could call up, you know, Kristen Stewart or. Mike Gerber or, or what have you, and we'd have that roster spot. But yeah, it just kind of feels like we keep bumping up against Victor Reyes' roster spot, and it's he's like you know the man who, man who never speaks, the man who we never see. Yeah, no, it's and it's interesting because it's like, it 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 has to be. You're right. It has to be about like because it's not the opportunity cost of winning. Like it, he's not the difference between winning and losing. Mm-hmm. But it, but you're right that it is maybe the difference between seeing a player that fans are excited about and and kind of waiting shouting into the void for christian stewart to get called up yeah yeah and just yeah i just worry i just worry about what this is doing to his confidence but you know i'm I'm kind of a worry word about the tigers in general it's just my nature so fair enough no, I'm, I'm team worry all the way yeah not necessarily about the tigers but about uh, plenty of other stuff yeah <laughs> yeah there's plenty to be worried about these days no doubt um that's right one thing we're worried about, um, or maybe not that worried about, is the the major league draft. Um, and it sounded. Did you get down to Auburn to to talk to Casey Mize? Um, that one I didn't go in person. That one we did over the phone. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. You know, Casey Mize basically seems locked in one one. You know, there's. You know, this always happens. I've done this for a few years now, and there's always the, you know, the last minute. Oh, maybe the Tigers aren't in on Casey Mize, and you know, there's there's an issue and behind the scenes, and they're thinking about this, this, and this, but. By the end of the day, it, it, most of that stuff usually just turns out to be kind of chatter and, you know, maneuvering and all that sort of thing. So I'm still yeah. expecting it to be Casey Mize. Um, what, what were your impressions of him talking to him? Yeah, really thoughtful was the thing that, the thing that I noticed the most is the way that he, he talks about his arsenal and the way that he kind of looks back on certain life events that, I mean, the, the nature of my job oftentimes is to ask people about these like far long time ago life events that I find interesting that they might not find interesting about their own life, you know? Yeah. Or to but maybe she, and to t- have to kind of be like the stranger asking about personal things you know, that, yeah. that you've never met this person. And here we go. hundred percent. Right. And so um, I was really struck by how willing to like engage on some of those things he was and, um, just really kind of thoughtful is the best way I can, I can put it. Um, and it was also interesting just because the whole reporting process to that, all I heard was like how intense this kid was. Oh, yeah. And so I'm thinking that I'm going to go into this interview and it's going to be one way, I guess. And like, you know, kind of what you think of when you hear like really intense, competitive person. Like, I don't, I don't know. I guess I kind of had combative in my head. Oh, yeah. And or maybe it, or, you know, maybe just like, you know, grumpy Miguel Cabrera <laughs> you know, type thing or something. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 
but it was not combative at all. And it, it mean, I, I can see the intensity, like what, like what is meant by that. But I think it came off just more in like a, a focus or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, talking this kid up too much or whatever. Like that, that's not, it's not that uncommon for someone to be really like reflective and thoughtful about themselves. But I was just really struck by that. Like that interested me about him and about, you know, the person at this place of like really distinct, like, I don't know if anything can compare I've never experienced it, but like, I don't know if anything can compare to like the month that you are likely to be like, you know, likely the number one draft pick, but like almost for sure, like a top five draft pick. Like that's just such an interesting time in someone's life, you know? Yeah. And people like watching every, every start, you know, yeah. like you like their valuations, like ticking up a little bit and then ticking down and, you know, the fear of like, you know, maybe hurting yourself or even just having some minor thing that, you know, the, you know, the media could kind of, you know, mis misconstrue as a major issue because they don't, you know, necessarily know. Yeah, it's got to be stressful. And he, he definitely seemed to handle it, you know, with a, a great deal of professionalism. Um, you know, he, he definitely gives you that sort of that commanding sort of ace vibe in, in some of the interviews I've I've read from him. And I thought he was really forthright about you know, the, the way people are kind of looking at, at his arsenal of pitches and yeah. and kind of what a non-traditional sort of profile that is being a, a guy who has, you know, a splitter is kind of a key out pitch, doesn't really have, you know, has like a, a good breaking ball, but it isn't really his his showpiece. And the fastball is, you know, good, but not, you know, eye popping. So, yeah, he seemed to have a really good head on his shoulders as far as, you know, understanding how he was being assessed by other people. You're talking about Katie's article. Um, about Mize, yeah, about yeah, yeah. That was so good, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Yep. I was blown away by by all the all the voices she got into that piece and uh, about the splitter. But yeah, so, yeah, yeah, she's great. <laughs> she really yeah, is awesome. Yeah, exactly. we've been big fans. Yeah, and so yeah, this the split change is what he calls it because I think I think he like that's exactly what you're talking about, right? It's like he's conscious of the way people view it, and he's like he wants them to know like this isn't your maybe typical splitter where you actually split it in half. Like he's his hands aren't that big, so he can't necessarily do that anyway. Yeah. So he throws it as a change up and it's got change up at that's like that's the stuff I'm talking about, right? And I feel like he's so thoughtful about his own arsenal and how, like you said, how it gets viewed and how he sees it and how he sees it evolving. Like I think he's I think he's a, I think he's probably the type that will be kind of a little bit of a tinkerer and receptive to data, if not someone who's I don't think he's gonna be someone who's seeking it out exorbitant like in, in mass, like in Trevor Bauer levels yeah yeah but um but certainly someone who sounds like he'd be receptive to that kind of feedback yeah and definitely someone who who seems like he does at least understand you know kind of kind of the process of using sort of like you know modern technology and and analysis to kind of improve himself you know there, there was something in that piece about um you know how they had kind of isolated some of the you know like the tendonitis or arm issue that he'd had last year to his slider mm -hmm. grip and, and and action more than the splitter um, so yeah, it sounds like he's he's pretty well versed, and you know that's something I've kind of gotten. You know, we we're kind of you know sabermetrics promoters over at Bless You Boys, and have kind of been pushing you know for the Tigers, or at least just yelling and screaming about the Tigers, kind of being behind the times. Um, and you just kind of see that, you know, especially at the big schools, like players are coming up, getting more and more used to to having all this data at their disposal, and and kind of being expected to process it and use it to get better. So. Yeah, it seemed like um, it was something that the, you know the Tigers were behind on for such a long time, and are you know desperately kind of trying to, to catch up on but you can kind of see it in in a guy like Mize who's already you know kind of gone through the thing of like breaking down all of his stuff with slow motion cameras and everything like that yeah and like you said they were looking for I think it was a forearm strain is what what he had talked about was that like he they were looking for why that happened and they like you said they determined it was a slider thing and uh and yeah just exactly what you're saying like it, 
that shows that they're you know willing to do kind of self analysis that I think we talked about a little bit earlier too. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, it was, you know, it kind of goes to that, you know, Justin Verlander goes to Houston. I mean, obviously, this has become a bit of an apocryphal, overblown yeah. thing. But, you know, yeah, going to going to Houston and suddenly they fixed everything. You know, they put all these fancy cameras on him and gave him all this data that he'd never had before. And, you know, now he's pitching the best baseball of his life. And he is pitching the best baseball of his life, which is just the damnedest thing. It is. But like, I mean, like you said, I mean, he, he was a vote away from winning the Cy Young 2016 he was off to a plenty fine start yeah uh 2017 like it, it's it's not truly out of nowhere yeah but um yeah i get what you mean yeah and you know and i yeah i mean i think you can attribute some to you know i mean there's a better defense behind him and you know I'm, i've, I've kind of said enough about james mccann as a catcher but you know they're you know the astros seem a little bit sharper about you know their catchers receiving and how to set up hitters and some of those things. That's those are things where I think Bazio may have had a, a pretty good impact with the Tigers this year too. But yeah, I don't think Justin Verlander was magically transformed into a different pitcher when he went to Houston. He's just a badass in the second half, and you put him on the mound in a huge game, and he's going to destroy people. So yeah, I do wonder how much of it now is like that he's doing it in the first half. That like if that's like okay, well now he's doing second half Verlander in the first half. So what's he going to do in the second half? Kind yeah, is he going to run out of gas? Yeah. Or is he going to have a point four ERA at the end of the year? Yeah, I, w- I really wouldn't put anything past him. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Justin Verlander fanatic, so yeah, I'm, I'm, nothing would surprise me. Right. Um, the last guy I wanted to kind of to touch on, who's sort of you know in between like a prospect, you know, who we're kind of looking for, like Joe Jimenez, you know, a young player coming up, or um, Jacoby Jones, but Nico Goodrum is, um, you know, really been extremely impressive at the plate and kind of has a long you know track record in the minor leagues of being a very successful hitter and just kind of ran out of time in the in the um, the twins organization um did you get a chance to talk to him about you know kind of what, what that was like and you know i know you wrote a, a piece the other day about about him um, returning to minnesota what is uh what is your impression of mr goodrum so far because he's been uh, he's been raking and you know screwing up on defense a little bit but he's definitely <laughs> been interesting yeah the talking to him was brief it was uh about three minutes before the monday game and then after the game when i decided i wanted to write about him i figured I wanted to go to the twins locker room and talk to like Buxton and some of those guys that came up with him. So I got more their perspective than his on like the Minnesota side. Yeah. But, um, but no, I mean, that's sort of was the crux of the piece was like, this guy's hitting now and that's, you know, good for him for someone who didn't, like you said, did not get a ton of like kind of time to do that in in the twins organization, um, at least at the big league level. So, but soon like, some players are going to get back from injury. He's playing third right now with Candelario out. Like, what's going to happen to the hitting? Like, can he do – he had an eight-game hit streak not long ago. I think he had, like, three multi-hit games in a row. Can he do those things when there's a day or two between starts? Like, mm-hmm. if he can, that's, like, a, that's a piece. Like, that's that's a piece. Um, it's interesting, you know. Like, his defense is not necessarily good enough to be a super utility guy in the sense that at least I was raised to think of a super utility guy. Yeah, but like you'll take a bat on the bench any day of the week, right? Like a guy who hits two seventy with power, like or two two fifty with power, even like that's that's a piece, right? I mean, yeah, yeah and um, you know, and it's interesting because yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I've got his his Fangrass page up, and you know, I'm looking at just just simply, you know, just like his WRC plus, you know, through his years with the Twins, you know, I see one hundred seven in Double A, one forty nine at High A, one thirty three, you know, in two hundred plate appearances in twenty sixteen at Double A. So, there, I mean, there is a track record there. And, you know, for me, I'm kind of, um, 
I'm probably rushing this. You know, I can't help it. But, you know, I look at Dixon mm. Machado. You know, obviously, Jose Iglesias is going to be gone sometime this year or at the end of the year. And, you know, the big the big theme for me of the rebuild now that we, you know, they've kind of got a stockpile of pitching built up in the minor leagues. But what they don't have, you know, they've got catching. Um, they've got some outfielders. But what they don't have is the middle infielders kind of of the future. And it really, I mean, I kind of don't feel like Dixon Machado is that guy. Um, so, and I don't know if Dawa Lugo is that guy. So I keep looking at Nico Goodrum thinking like, should we maybe just be playing this guy every day? Interesting. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, uh, and Dixon's defense has had a couple of moments that I think I can understand where you're coming from with that because, uh, he was billed as, as like a defensive, as a defensive dude and yeah. uh, has had a couple of moments that I think I can understand why, uh, and he is playing out of position, obviously. So, right. I, I don't know. I mean, I still think that. I mean, first of all, Machado at the beginning of the year, this was the opposite. You know, Machado was like, "Oh wow, this is a, this is meaningful stuff at the bat that can balance it out." But he has definitely kind of come back down to earth recently. But I don't know. I mean, do you, it it kind of would come down to like if you're willing to sacrifice that much defense in the middle infield. Like, not to say Goodrum can't play middle infield. I think he could be a a, a reasonably competent second baseman with enough time. But um, that's interesting. I don't know. I hadn't I hadn't really given that too much consideration. Yeah, I'm just curious kind of what the Tigers are, are thinking and doing with him. Because like you said, I mean, he's, he, he seems like a pretty useful guy to have on the bench and, you know, is athletic enough to kind of play everywhere. Just sort of doesn't quite have the, maybe the instincts or maybe, you know, there's there's the occasional, you know, mental mistake. But, you know, I look at Dixon Machado and, you know, I'm I'm going to trust that his defense is, is going to, you know, somewhat, you know, approximate Jose Iglesias' yeah. level at shortstop or at least, you know, in the ballpark. It's just a question of whether or not he can produce enough because, you know, we look at the Astros and the Yankees and, you know, the big teams all all have middle infields that can hit for power as well as average and on base percentage. So, yeah, that's that seems to be like the the hole in, in the rebuild right now that I don't really see in the minor leagues really, really having a lot of a lot of help coming either. So do you see Paredes as a middle infielder? I'm sorry, who? Isaac Paredes. Oh, I'm boy. You know, maybe. But I, I have to kind of trust the judgment of a lot of the, the scouts I've talked to are just like, you know, there's just going to be really tough for him to, to stay there and, and keep the weight off and not, you know, and, and have the mobility to kind of move side to side at shortstop. Like he's got the hands, he's got the arm to play third base if they wanted him to. But yeah, it just doesn't seem like he, he's quite got the quickness to be a middle infielder playing around the bag all the time. Yeah, it, no, yeah. I mean, that because that, that to me is, is like the key to that question. It's like if you see Paredes, Paredes? I don't know. That's, that's a pronunciation know. one. I'm not going to say I'll say Paredes. Yeah, yeah Paredes. <laughs> um, if, if you see him as a starting middle infielder, then like you're looking for like kind of one piece because I think people, most people see him as being a big part of the rebuild. But if you see him as a third baseman or a first baseman or whatever, like then yeah, that, then it's a huge hole. But I think where I like come down on it in either way is like I think that like in terms of progress on like in the rebuild, like I think people are looking like a little too much at what's there now as what, like, this is what there's to work with. Like you got Mm -hmm. a couple potentially big trades coming this year and a a big draft. And if they go pitcher, then yeah, maybe that's not the answer to that. But um, I I will, I will say that I think like the, the answers to a few of the rebuild questions have to be that the answer isn't in the system yet. You know, like, yeah, like you, you got outfielders coming, but, you know, you sure wouldn't say no to another one. You got pitchers there, but you sure wouldn't say no to a guy if you knew he was going to be a one or a two starter. Right. 
so I, I mean, this is, that's kind of where I come down on a lot of, um, of a lot of rebuild questions is like, it's possible that the answer to the middle infield is just patently is not in the system there. Like it's probably, you know, if it's not Machado and it's not Goodrum and it's not Paredes, like it's probably not, it's, it's probably still drafted <laughs> or traded for, you know? Yeah. 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 And I, you know, that's, you know, obviously there, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and, you know, it's just the nature of me and probably every fan to kind of want to speed things up. But, um, but I also, you know, you look at, you know, can, can you trade, you know, a Michael Fulmer and get, you know, a really high end middle infield prospect. And, you know, the Yankees weren't willing to to deal Glaber Torres um, for him. Um, it sounds, you know, at least that's, that's kind of the read on, on what negotiations sounded like this off season. Um, so yeah, you went, you do wonder if the Tigers can pull someone like that in trade, but we also don't know what Chris Illich's plans as far as, you know, his willingness to spend are, you know, I mean, yeah. the Tigers could very, could very easily go and I don't know, sign Manny Machado. And then, you know, like you just <laughs> wait for the pitching to show up and I don't know, maybe we're, maybe we're uh, in business there, but yeah, it's, it's definitely the, that's definitely like the, the linchpin of the whole rebuild to me is going to be how they address. Yeah. That middle infield. Especially when when all of like the the powerhouses in the league now like you're right like have that like you look at Cleveland and like you know Jose Ramirez is playing third right now but it's not hard to imagine a world where he is the second baseman like next year yeah and you'd have him and Lindor like two of the maybe top ten players in the AL in the middle infield on the same team um, the Yankees you know you could have Didi Gregorius and Flavor Torres uh, the Red Sox you got Bogarts there I mean it, it, there are yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I guess I guess the Red Sox are maybe the exception because obviously Pedroia is not the player he used to be and is just coming yeah. back. But but yeah, you go to the Astros with Correa and Altuve and yeah, yep. it's, there's, yeah, there's Altuve, some right? That's the best one. I don't even know how I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm a big fan of Lindor and Ramirez too. Those guys can rake. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, uh, Ramirez is so underrated. I mean, he it's it's getting corrected now. Like he's 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 finally been so good for so long that people aren't ignoring it. But yeah, he's crazy good. Yeah, for sure. All right, Max. Well, yeah, um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Um, it's been great to talk to you. And we were, um, you know, we, we've really been fans of, of your work and, you know, trying to promote the athletic in general, because I just think, you know, like the quality of journalism that's being being produced out there is worth paying for. And the more, you know, people kind of go out there and and, you know, you, you kind of get what you pay for in life, you know, more often than not. And, you know, like if, if people are willing to subscribe, it's not particularly expensive. And man, the, the, the major league coverage has just been incredible. Uh, you know, I don't even really follow other sports and I wasn't sure, you know, like, do I need this, this much more coverage of the Tigers? But what's turned out is that like, it just seems like every, every athletic department, you know, across, you know, major leagues has, has really hired some great people. And obviously the big boys like Ken Rosenthal and it's, um, it's been well worth it. So stoked for you guys and uh yeah we're gonna keep boosting you so <laughs> thanks for saying that man no, i i can't tell you how much i appreciate it and you guys have been doing killer work for a long time like you guys have have consistently been a really really good source on, on the tigers to to read and to stay you know in the comp just conversationally like competent in with like people that i knew when i was in college or whatever like i feel like that was a huge place that like you had to be reading what you guys were doing over there to, to be, to, to know what everyone was going to be talking about with that. So I, you guys are doing awesome stuff. Oh, uh, thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. Yep. We're just, yeah. You know, like our niche is kind of like, yeah, just trying to keep that, you know, that community of, of tiger fans and keep bringing up the topics and trying to dig deep into things. So yeah, we'll just no, keep, we'll keep doing our thing. You're doing great. I mean, you guys are awesome, awesome stuff out there. Uh, thanks man. Thanks very much. All right. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully we can have you on uh, later this season, but uh, I'll let you go for now. <laughs> Anytime, man. No, thank you so much. Yep. Have a good night, Max. You too. Bye-bye.